Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Hey, everyone. I am coming to you Wednesday afternoon, November 4th, uh, after a sleepless night watching the U.S. presidential election returns. I wanted to put together an episode for you that offers uh, some quick analysis and explanation of what happened in the United States and what some of the potential international and foreign policy outcomes are of the election uh, as we know it right now. So on the line with me to offer some quick analysis is Michael Cohen. He is a columnist for the Boston Globe and co-author of the book Clear and Present Safety, The World Has Never Been Better and Why That Matters to Americans. And his co-author is Micah Zenko. We kick off discussing the current state of play in the Electoral College and in the U.S. Senate, and then just have a broader conversation about what it all means and what can be deduced about the American electorate right now from the election last night. So here is my conversation with columnist Michael Cohen. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We're speaking around midday in the United States. Where things stand at the moment, you know, it looks like Joe Biden will win the presidency either by a narrow margin or a medium margin. There's still a number of votes to be counted, but, you know, everything is trending in, in Joe Biden's direction. That seems right. I mean, I, I expect at this point that Biden will win. Uh, I think he'll actually win by about, you know, a pretty significant margin of the popular vote. Um, and, you know, chances are we'll get over 300 electoral votes. That'd be my assumption at this point. Over 300. Okay. And again, you know, the, the states that are still outstanding, you know, we're looking to see what happens in Georgia and Pennsylvania. Michigan looks like it's going to Biden. Wisconsin looks like it's going to Biden. So yeah, there are still, a, you know, a few, a few states out there. Um, on the other hand, you know, the Senate uh, seems like it will be held, albeit somewhat narrowly, by the Republicans. Um, you know, there's a number of many close races out there, so it's a little early to speculate. But, you know, my sense is, given what we've seen, that the Republicans will probably hold a narrow majority in the Senate. Yeah, it looks like uh, – well, it looks like it will come down to the two Georgia Senate races, which may both go to runoff. Um, we know one will go to runoff on January 5th. The second one depends on where the rest of Georgia vote comes in. I suspect that it will go to runoff. So 
We'll be at 50-48 with those two seats outstanding. Uh, and uh, my guess is that Republicans will win those Senate races, but, you know, who knows? We'll have to see the results are in Georgia for drawing any clear conclusions about that. Mm-hmm. And the uh, tiebreaker goes to the vice president who plays a president of the Senate uh, in a tie situation. So a tie would go to the Democrats if Joe Biden holds on to the lead he has now. Yes, that's right. And so Kamala Harris would be the, the tiebreaker in the Senate. But, you know, and, and that would be good for Democrats and good for Joe Biden's agenda. But I, I think the chance of that happening are probably pretty slim at this point, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so so a couple of things, you know. This is either a narrow win or a medium win for, for Biden if, if things hold up as they look. Now, it's not a landslide victory. It's not this overwhelming repudiation of, of Trumpism or Trump, uh, as we've seen, as we might, as some might have expected. Frankly, I thought it was going to be a wider margin, uh, than it is. Um, you know, it's a little early to do punditry, but I'm just trying to get your kind of quick take. I think what happened last night has left me you know, for lack of a better word, completely stunned. And I don't really have a good explanation for what happened. Um, you know, uh, every single poll suggested Biden was going to win by a big margin. Um, you know, and even if it's a little bit of a more narrow victory, uh, and even if, you know, some of the states that were sort of uh, toss up and go to Trump, uh, that doesn't explain what happened in the congressional races, which is where I think the real stunner of the evening is. I mean, you, I don't know anybody who thought the Democrats would lose seats in the House, and they did. Um, I think everybody assumed that Democrats would pick up the Senate, and they probably won't. Uh, and so every single close, I mean, just take Susan Collins in Maine, for example. Uh, you know, I don't think she polled above 46% ever this cycle in her race against Democrat Sarah, Democrat Sarah Gideon. She was above 50% when today Gideon called her to concede. That. I don't understand how that happened, actually. I just don't. Um, you know, Tom Tillis in North Carolina is another example. I don't think he ever polled above 49%. He got 49% of the vote. Uh, that number may, may narrow somewhat when all the absentee votes are, are counted. But again, I don't think there's a clear explanation for how Republicans were able to win uh, races that I think no one thought they were going to win. Um, you know, the best I can come up with is, frankly, that I think this country is so polarized that at the end of the day, Republicans could not fathom the possibility of voting, you know, uh, splitting their ticket between a Senate candidate and presidential candidate. Um, and so in a lot of red states where Democrats had good candidates and raised a ton of money, they couldn't uh, overcome that partisan uh, lean toward Republicans. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of leans into my next question is, you know, such as we know the results now, you know, did what happened last night and is happening today. I mean, does this reveal anything to you about the American electorate? You know, this is a foreign policy podcast, you know, but you know, foreign policy stems from domestic politics in, in many respects. So I'm just kind of curious to learn from you if, if this uh, election has revealed anything new to you about, you know, U.S. politics or the U.S. electorate. I mean, if I'm being very candid, I would say this reveals I exp- that, yeah. yes, I'm mean, sure you want candid, me to be candid. This is a screwed up, uh, dysfunctional, ungovernable country full of voters who don't have a clue uh, what kind of government they want. Uh, and they would, frankly, rather vote based on partisanship and sticking it to the other party than they would on what's best for America. And I, uh, you know, was somewhat optimistic that a Biden presidency with a Democratic Senate would be able to accomplish something. I have zero optimism that anything will get done in the next 
uh, four years because, or two, at least for two years until midterm. Um, I just think it's sort of obvious at this point that, um, that the country is, is simply ungovernable, uh, that polarization and partisanship is, is dominates. And, you know, the thing is that if we had a, a Republican party, you know, was interested in governing the country, we could have actually, you know, bipartisan compromise, but they're clearly not interested in governing the country. Um, they, you know, eight years ago or 12 years ago, when Barack Obama became president, they obstructed everything that he wanted to do. And I don't see any reason to believe that's not going to happen again uh, over the next two years. I think they're going to, I think Mitch McConnell and Republicans will obstruct everything that, everything on, on Biden's agenda. They'll obstruct cabinet positions and judges and, and legislation and nothing will get done because they know that that'll help them politically. And it probably will. Um, you know, it's, it's a sad commentary on where we are as a country, but this country is a mess. And anyone who is looking uh, to the U.S. to sort of get out of what the last four years of dysfunction and instability, um, sorry, it's not going to happen. So, you know, I'll put this question to a senior European diplomat that I'm at, speaking with later this week to get his, you know, take and, and reaction to the election outcome. Um, but, you know, the politics of America that you just described, which I, I agree with, I, I think it, it's accurate and it makes sense to me, um, you know, is one in which the United States is not a reliable partner on the world stage. Um, it's, you know, it's one in which every four years, if you could have this kind of swing between a conventional American president and a Trump type, um, you know, nationalist or isolationist or whatever you want to call them, an unreliable partner, um, you know, is one in which it makes harder for other countries to deal with the U.S. and uh, expect there to be some, you know, continuity in their dealings with the United States. Uh, no kidding. I mean, the, the world put up with, with W for eight years, a, a lousy American president who, you know, often ignored, you know, uh, our international partners or didn't certainly respect them. We had Obama for eight years. Things seemed to be, you know, somewhat back to the level of normalcy. And now we have four years of this 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 clown show. And now we're going to have two. I mean, at least Biden will be better on foreign policy. I think that almost certainly is the case. Um, and I think he'll be an effective foreign policy president. But, you know, how much credibility can you give to anything that comes out of a American U.S. administration when you don't know what's going to happen in, in four years? I saw a, a, a quote from somebody on Twitter, some European Diplomats saying, you know, the, the world doesn't want to play American roulette every four years. And that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. And I don't and I don't blame them, frankly. Uh, I think this this just this just cements American decline. Uh, and, you know, I, it's, again, I mean, I hate to sound so pessimistic, but it, it's really hard to look at what happened and have anything other than just pessimism about what's where, where America's headed as a country. Well. Except for the fact that we might have forestalled a democratic backslide and authoritarian rule in this country, which was a possibility. Yeah, I mean, look, I, that's a great. So that's there a good is point. that. There is that, and it's a really good point. I don't want to minimize. Like, yeah. you're absolutely right about that, and I, and, and I shouldn't minimize how important it is to, to get Trump out of office. There's no question about that. But I think you know, in some ways, you know, th that was the worst alternative. What we're getting now is the second worst alternative, which is a Republican Party that doesn't feel chastened by its support for Trump, that had paid no political price for enabling Trump, uh, that uh, has every incentive to obstruct whatever Joe Biden wants to do. I mean, it is it is, uh, you know, not as bad as Trump winning, but it's pretty bad. And that's the only way to look at it.
Um, so, you know, foreign policy is one area in which the president has a wide latitude to, to, to work, does not have to answer necessarily to the Senate on, on many things when it comes to foreign policy. But there are some, some issues, um, and some areas in which a Senate that is bent on obstructing a U.S. president might flex its muscle. Um, looking down the road, the potential of a Biden presidency plus a Republican controlled Senate. Um, what sort of dynamics do you see potentially unfolding when it comes to the Senate's uh, ability to constrict his hand in foreign policy issues? Uh, that's a good question. Actually, I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, I think, you know, uh, on things like the client, like the Paris Climate Accord, I imagine that, that Biden can bring the U.S. back in if he wants to. On Iran, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, it doesn't need congressional permission to 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 um, to uh, go back into the agreement or to certainly you know hashtag a new agreement. Um, I think where it could be more difficult is in uh, blocking uh, uh, Biden cabinet. Uh, um, Officials. I mean, I think Susan Rice was a front runner for Secretary of State. I think that's now not going to happen. I don't think Republicans are going to confirm her to Secretary of State. Um, I think it probably, um, you know, it may be. Look, I don't know how far the Republicans will go in obstructing, but they may obstruct all of his cabinet uh, nominees. I have no idea. Um, I, I do think that that at the very least, you're not going to get, um, you know, I think maybe more. Um, progressive or maybe more um, provocative picks for cabinet positions because they can't get, they can't get through public in the Senate. Yeah. I mean, the JCPOA is kind of an interesting example. I think, you know, when you go back and think about it, there was this kind of congressional action that forced the U S president to recertify Iranian compliance with the JCPOA. Uh, and it was Trump's non-certification that triggered the U.S. pullout of the JCPOA. So there are there there's some, I think, ways in which the uh, Senate can potentially constrict or constrain uh, Joe Biden's foreign policy hand. Um, I guess maybe one one last question. You know, if Biden wins, it will likely probably be because of you know uh, of Minnesota. Wisconsin, Michigan, potentially Pennsylvania, you know, and, and these are areas that part of the U.S. that is, you know, heavily affected by issues regarding trade with China. Uh, do you see any, I don't know, like any way in which uh, Biden might approach the U.S.-China relationship um, in a way that might appeal to voters in what has now become like the swing states in the United States? I don't think any of that matters. Uh, I hate to be cynical about it, but I think we've reached a point. I don't either, actually. I, when I was thinking about this question before I asked you, I didn't actually think it mattered, but I wanted to get your take. No, I don't think I don't think any issue matters at all, to be honest. I mean, the President of the United States has basically uh, contributed to the death of 230,000 Americans and appears to have paid a minimal political price for that. Uh, certainly, Republicans have paid almost no price for enabling him. He paid no price for, uh, for you know, basically manipulating the Ukrainian government to support the re-election bid. Um, you know, it is... Um, what can you say? I mean, I, I don't think that there's well, any... Except for being voted out of office, probably. Well, probably. I mean, yeah, that's about all you can really you can really uh, say, but that, and that, which is obviously not a small thing. But, but, it's, but as far as, you know, there was no, uh, uh, what's it called, the repudiation of a president who, who's, whose handling of the COVID pandemic was a complete and total disaster. 
there really wasn't a repudiation of it in, in the way that we, that what he should have received. So uh, I think, you know, and, and let's put it this way. If, if that didn't play a huge role, I certainly think trade didn't play a huge role. Uh, I mean, I think, um, I, I don't think that any issue, I think at the end of the day, partisanship trumps all in this country. And, uh, you know, it, it, that whatever, try, I think whatever Biden does on trade isn't going to matter if there's, if there's not results, for example. If not results, that's what's going to, that's what's going to undercut, um, uh, Biden. Not so much the issue position that he takes. Uh, I think it gives the American voter, frankly, more credit than they deserve to think that they're going to care about the specifics of trade policy. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they were voting on the Paris Accord. They wanted the U.S. to absolutely join. Absolutely. Yeah, clearly. Um, Anyway, Michael, thank you. I'm exhausted. I know you're exhausted. I was up till the wee hours in the morning and then like panicking and checking my phone at 4 a.m. uh, there's a, it's going to be, I think, another kind of long night ahead of us. Um, so thank you for speaking with me on, on such short notice. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll and, see what um, happens, yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Michael Cohen. And uh, as I teased in this episode, all goes according to plan. I should be speaking with a former senior European diplomat in the United States to offer... Uh, his perspective on uh, what the election results portend for America's role in the world. All right, I will see you soon. As you can tell, I've totally lost my voice. Uh, Hopefully it will return in the coming days. All right, see ya. Bye.